All right. All right. Good morning, afternoon, evening, brunch time, lunch time, postseason time, postseason football time, bowl time, winning streak time. Guys, there's not much bad news to talk about time. Whatever time of day it is, it's the right time for the Go Vols 24-7 podcast. Wes Rucker coming to you from Fort Rucker Studio. Hope you're having a good Thursday morning out there, wherever you are, in case, uh, unless, of course, it's Thursday afternoon or evening or Friday or Saturday or whatever day it is. Hope you're having a hope you're having a good day and glad you're spending it with us. It's not just me on this podcast. I'm the only one here in Fort Rucker studio. Actually, it's me and uh, Sir Angus McCorgahan here sitting here in the in the Fort Rucker studio. But there's a couple of other yahoos from GoVoss 24-7 who are coming to us from their abodes across town. Got Ryan Callahan from his house. Got Patrick Brown from his house. What's up, fellas? Ryan, did you know Wes got a dog? I, I just uh, noticed that, I guess, for the first time. That's the first time I've heard anything about it. He actually got knighted with a sword the other day, so he really is say, that tough name. That 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 tough name he just threw out there is actually just an attempt to make it a little more masculine that he's talking about a corgi. Well, yeah, I mean, but, you know, it's it's Sir Angus McCorgahan, but you can just call him Gus. That's okay. He's going to be now the official pet of the podcast because the podcast is usually recorded here and not at Pat's house where, where his where his puppy gets to be on there. Maybe we will record some occasionally at your house, Pat. I'll move the gear over there so we can have your puppy be the the podcast puppy occasionally, if you, if that would make you feel better. Uh, no, that's all right. My, my dog's not a puppy. She's about three and a half, so. They're all puppies. They're all puppies. They're all puppies, fellas. Speaking of, uh, I can't really think of a good segue from talking about puppies. I guess I, I could say that Vanderbilt's football program right now looks kind of like a puppy. Maybe that's a good segue. I'm not really sure. Anyway, guys, we got a bunch to talk about on this podcast. We got three segments coming at you. This is all football. We were going to do another dual podcast, but instead we're going to give hoops its own thing. We'll, we'll do kind of a, a quick podcast after uh, after Wednesday's game against Florida A&M, the Rattlers. So we're just keeping this one to football, even though we will, I'm sure, answer some some basketball questions later. Here's what we're going to do, guys. We've got three segments in this one. We're going to talk about the, the Tennessee-Vanderbilt game and, and some potential bowl scenarios for the Vols in the first segment. Second segment, we are going to discuss the NCAA portal party, and then we're going to get into recruiting. I know signing day early signing period just a couple weeks away so we're going to have plenty of that stuff to talk about with ryan then we're going to take another break and then we're going to come back and as always on thursday mornings we are going to take your questions from goval's 24 7's checkerboard but fellas on to the football tennessee 28 vanderbilt 10 uh, i mentioned this a little bit on the monday episode which if you want to go back and listen to it it was a one-on-one interview with daniel batuli lots of neat stuff in there uh, but uh, before that, talked a little bit about the Tennessee Vanderbilt game, so we don't have to rehash all of it necessarily. But bottom line, guys, uh, a win's a win for Tennessee right now. It, it was not pretty. Uh, Tennessee did not cover the spread, believe it or not. Uh, but I think some of that had to do with the weather conditions, and, and ultimately I don't think Tennessee was really threatened in that game. No, they had a, they had a tough start to the game. I think uh, interception and a couple of three and outs, but then they – kind of figured out that it was really tough to throw and catch in the rain the way it was so they decided to put the ball on the ground and eric gray came out of i don't want to say nowhere because uh, i think his 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 talent's not necessarily been a secret but he just hasn't got a lot of opportunities 
uh, just three carries in the previous two games before that one. And, and uh, he had some big plays and had some great blocking in front of him to, uh, uh, to get free and to uh, uh, have a lot of open space that he could, he could exploit. So, uh, yeah, he, he to me was the story of the game was just Gray, who had, I think, 207 yards going into the game and rushed for 246, set a freshman record uh, for Tennessee. So uh, that was the story of the game. And, of course, uh, another good game defensively for, for Tennessee other than one drive. But I, I think that was expected against uh, an offense in Vanderbilt that's really, really struggled. Yeah, it's, I mean, it. this is this is uh, what Tennessee was supposed to do in, in that game. So it's uh, it, it wasn't the most thrilling game i mean the the rain delays or the lightning delays i should say all just sort of interrupted everything and uh it didn't didn't have a whole lot of flow to that game because of the weather so it's one of those games that you're just happy to get the win and move on um and and for tennessee it's a chance to celebrate a, a a nice turnaround of the season sort of just the cherry on top for what they had accomplished over the past several weeks but uh but they 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 did enough well to to take care of that game and not have any drama, despite, like you said, Patrick, making a, an early mistake and you know a turnover that gave Vanderbilt an early lead and and it didn't didn't really matter in the grand scheme of things because Vanderbilt's just not very good. So Tennessee doing what it's supposed to do and restoring some order to a rivalry that they've traditionally dominated and now that now they've strengthened their argument for a a, a pretty decent bowl game, which we'll get to in a few minutes. But it was a a workmanlike effort with with Eric Gray, you know, showing signs that. Hey, maybe he he can be the, the kind of the, the back of the future for Tennessee, or at least a big part of their equation in the backfield uh, in, in the coming years. Uh, after not doing a whole lot for several weeks, really uh, answering the answering the bell when when Tennessee needs some help with Ty Chandler banged up. Yeah, and yeah, I, and Ron, I think you made a good point there about sort of restoring order. I mean, that's sort of how it's supposed to go. It's supposed to be Tennessee is supposed to be able to beat Vanderbilt comfortably, even if it doesn't play its best game. And I think that was uh, the case, and so. Uh, yeah, that, that's what you want to see if you're Tennessee, especially after the way the last three games in that series went. Yeah, and I'll say this too. I, I think that if you're looking for more proof just of how much different sort of this team is right now, you know, Tennessee has still struggled to start games properly. Tennessee goes out there and offensively early on just is not very good. It, it's been that way uh, for a little while now, and, and then certainly we've seen that on defense too. But, you know, in that Georgia State game, Tennessee took that that early turnover uh, and Georgia State turned it into a touchdown, and then, you know, it, it kind of became a struggle. Uh, South Carolina, though, Tennessee goes out there, gives up an early touchdown, a 75-yard touchdown the first play of the game, and then kind of rallies back from that. Kentucky, the start was poor again, and then they came on again. But again and, and again against Vanderbilt, the, 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 it does not start very well. Uh, it does not look very good. And, and then Tennessee just kind of flips the switch and goes on about its business. So I, I think the the maturity of this team, it, it's not necessarily the performance of this team that impresses me because I still – I completely agree with Jeremy Pruitt. I don't think that's coach speak. I think when he says this team has not played close, anywhere close to to the best level it's capable of playing – I believe that, and I think you can see that on film because if you can do something in spurts, you ought to be able to do it more often than that. So so it's not the performance of the team necessarily that, that impresses me, but it's sort of the, the mental toughness of this team that, that impresses me because 
you know, anybody can go out there when things are easy and, and go out there and play well. You know, the, the weather's great. You're chucking the ball around. You're getting stops, forcing turnovers. Everything's going your way. You feel good. Anybody can look good when that's happening. This team ha- has kind of found a way to play its best football when it's kind of been punched in the face a little bit. And, and, and I think that is the sign of a tough team. And, and I think, you know, you, you talk to any football coach across the country and they're going to say, I want a tough team. Got to be tough. Got to be physically tough, mentally tough. And everybody says that, but but most teams, you know, aren't they either aren't physically tough enough or they aren't mentally tough enough. I think this Tennessee team, while not a great team, has shown both physical and mental toughness, and I think that's the thing that impresses me. I mean, I, I might be out of speaking out of turn here, but I just that's the thing when I look at them that impresses me. Yeah, and I and like you said, it's not a it's definitely not that they're playing their best football because I, I do think there's another level they still haven't reached. And if I guess you could look at that one of two ways, it could be, you know, a, a downside to this season that they really never reached their full potential in some ways in that regard, never playing a perfect game. But the, the positive is it didn't keep them from getting to seven wins, which was let's face it, what we all predicted all along. And uh, you know, not, not like the season we expected it to be, but they got there anyway. Um, so it, it, it didn't stop them from uh, from accomplishing, you know, one of the what, what needed to be the big picture goal for this year. But, uh, yeah, I, I still think that is the case. And that that might be a positive for this team going into next year, that there still might be another level this team can reach, even though they are losing some key players this year. The fact that you've had these guys make all this progression this year and, and now they get to come back next year. And, and, and if they you know play anywhere closer to their potential a year from now that they might be a better team than people are expecting in year three under Jeremy Pruitt. So there's some good and bad in that, but Hey, the bottom line is you needed to show progress from five wins in year one. You definitely showed that by getting to seven wins. And uh, it doesn't matter that you didn't do it with style points, but yeah, there's still another level they could reach. And it's something to to kind of strive for going into the bowl game. Yeah. And I think it's, there's something to be said though, for being able to win when you don't play your best. And Tennessee's been doing that for, uh, for weeks now. I mean, they, they, some of those games they won, they had to grind out because of the mistakes they made. So, um, and obviously if they're going to really be able to uh, make a run at, at some of the better teams that, that they're going to face every year, then they're not, they're going to be able, they're going to need to, uh, obviously play cleaner and not make the mistakes that they, uh, have made, but you know, a lot of times in, in, in recent past, Tennessee's made a bunch of mistakes and then lost those games. So uh, I think it's I think there's something to be said for developing sort of a, an expectation and an attitude to win. And and Wes, you kind of touched on a little bit. Does this team just something goes wrong? They find a way and, and kind of work themselves out of it, work themselves out of it. And, and that's something that they can carry. And that's something that this group of seniors can pass along to uh, to the to the guys that'll sort of take the mantle for for next year's team. Yeah, well, it, uh, go ahead. Line too is you know we've talked about this before. You know everybody, Jeremy Pruitt, as much as anyone wants to, he wants to be competing with Alabama. He wants to be competing with Georgia for the SEC title every year. That's that's the goal. He wants to be competing with LSU, those types of teams. But before you can do that, you've got to start beating the teams more regularly that Tennessee hasn't been beating in recent years, and that's South Carolina, that's Missouri. That was until this year, Vanderbilt um, and, and Kentucky to some degree, but they've only lost that game a couple times in the, in the past nine years. So they did that this year. They swept those four teams. They are now going into an off season where they finished third in the SEC East and they they beat the teams that they traditionally should be expected to beat based on sort of the, the historical standing of the program. So that's a big step this year. And, and like you said, Patrick, there's a lot to be said for being able to win games when you're not playing your best and Maybe the most important thing to come out of this season, aside from just 
bouncing back from that disastrous start was that Tennessee has now beaten all four of those teams in the SEC East that they need to overcome before they can really start worrying about chasing down Georgia and Florida. And, and I'll tell you guys one thing uh, quickly before, about this game before we move on and start talking about some uh, some other things, which is obviously the, the bowl game, which is sort of a, a pressing issue now because people want to know where Tennessee's going to go bowling. I, I do want to mention one last thing ab- about this this game. Is it in any way, shape, or form a concern that Tennessee completed just six passes in this game, or, or is it? Are you more impressed with the fact that Tennessee was able to run the ball even against a bad rushing defense? Uh, are you more impressed with that, or are you more disappointed with the fact that the passing game couldn't find a way to get things going in, in bad weather? Can I can I say neither? Yeah, uh, you absolutely. It's can. tough to throw and catch in the rain, uh, so I, I, I'm sort of willing to give the passing game a little bit of a benefit of the doubt or sort of a maybe a rain check maybe that's what i'm giving them or maybe a mulligan maybe sure. a mulligan is the way to go yeah. but uh and they should have been running the ball at vanderbilt because vanderbilt was giving up 200 yards a game on the ground so uh they should have been able to to run um the ball even though they haven't you know they've been kind of start stop with running with the run game all season but uh vanderbilt couldn't stop the run all season so tennessee should have been able to to kind of pound it out against them yeah and that, that's that's Totally fair, but I, I do think, you know, you're a little disappointed that you couldn't get your passing game going a little bit more. I mean, Jarrett Garantano finished, what, 6 of 17? Uh, I mean, they, they obviously gave up on it uh, to some degree after they struggled early on, but they came out trying to throw it, and it, it wasn't very sharp. You know, they made a couple throws when they needed to. The big play to Juwan Jennings was a big uh, a big point in the game, the the 50-yard completion. So, you know, they, they, they made some plays when they, when they really needed to. Um, but at the end of the day, you know, completing only six passes is a little bit of a disappointment, even though the, the conditions were far from ideal. So uh, I, I was a little bit surprised, though. I mean, honestly, I, I think Tennessee rushing for nearly, you know, 300 yards or whatever it almost was um, is, is pretty impressive, regardless of the opponent, because this is a team that hadn't run the ball well all year. I, I just we hadn't seen Tennessee, you know, really dominate up front for, for long stretches of a game. We've seen at times where they've sort of gotten into a rhythm in the second half of games lately, and they've run the ball better, but it's been very inconsistent for most of the year. So for them to have that kind of game, it allow Eric Gray to have that kind of breakout performance. I thought was impressive, even though Vanderbilt's had a bad run defense this year, it's a big step forward for this team because you need to start taking advantage of those kinds of defenses and running the ball better more consistently. And, and this is only the second time all year they hit the 200 yard mark rushing. So I thought that was that was a little bit surprising, and I was still a little bit surprised they didn't throw the ball at least a little bit better despite the rain. Well, I guess the regardless of how you feel about the the passing game or the running game or defense or special teams or anything else, and by the way, we should mention that Tennessee actually punted the ball like Tennessee again in that game for the first time in a while. That was uh, something that, that I think a lot of people took have been taking for granted at Tennessee because Tennessee's been so good at it for so long. But you know, Tennessee kind of got average there in the punting game after not being that for a long time, and I think. Tennessee had, a, you know, Paxton Brooks went out there and had a game that looked more like a Tennessee punter kind of game. Uh, even though Vandy's Harrison Smith was brilliant, uh, I still thought that Paxton Brooks had a game that he could really build on, so I, I should mention that. But regardless of how you feel about anything that happened in that game, Tennessee now has a bigger game to play. Tennessee, for the first time in three years, is back in the postseason. And, guys, i got to tell you, every year, you know, some years more than others, but to some extent every year – you see bowl projections all over the place. This season, I guess maybe it's because of, 
you know, there's more games that have multi-conference tie-ins. There's, you know, the, there's so many teams that, that could, in theory, be in the playoff going into the final week. And, and you've got even more teams that could be in the New Year's Six games. Projections for Tennessee are just all over the place. What do y'all make of all this? And I still think at the end of the day, it looks like a Florida Bowl game to me. But I guess there's projections all over the place for a reason. Yeah, I, I think the most common projections are, uh, well, there's been two sort of this week. It's been both the Florida Bulls, the Gator Bowl, and the Outback Bowl. Uh, and really, I think there's really only three options uh, at this point for Tennessee. And I think the Music City Bowl is the other one. Uh, and a lot of what, uh, and a lot of the, the situation is, is sort of fluid and it's sort of out of Tennessee's control right now because uh, their chances of getting to the Outback Bowl depend on, uh, after the rankings were released the other night, basically Auburn has to get into a New Year's Six game. Um, the, the drop of Alabama has sort of changed everything there. Um, and, and so uh, I, I, I believe at this point, as we're recording this podcast, that Tennessee will end up in the Gator Bowl, but there's still some things that could happen. Uh, obviously on championship weekend, that can shake up the process that uh, will have sort of a ripple effect for, uh, for where Tennessee is going to go. Uh, I do think the Music City Bowl is sort of the fallback, sort of the safety school option for at, at this point for Tennessee. But yeah. uh, make no mistake about it, Tennessee is definitely pushing and definitely wants to go and feels that they deserve to go to either of those two Florida Bowls, either whether it be the Outback Bowl or the Gator Bowl in Jacksonville. Yeah, and I, I think there there's a lot of reason to think those Florida Bowls would want Tennessee too. I mean, out of the available options, uh, I mean, obviously a lot of this just depends on how many SEC teams get into the college football playoff in the New Year's Six, as Patrick has covered uh, very well on 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 the checkerboard uh, and, and explaining the situation, but basically it's you complicated. Need to... But it's yeah, it, it's complicated, but it's it's it is what it is. Yeah, the gist of it is you need four teams uh, out of the SEC to get into those two, the the New Year's Six and the and the college football playoff for Tennessee to be pretty much assured a trip to a Florida Bowl and and to maybe open up the the Outback Bowl is a good possibility if those if you don't get four in if it's only three from the SEC, which I think you're pretty much guaranteed to see three sec teams between the college football playoff and the new year's six if it's only three that's where the gator bowl might be kind of the ceiling for tennessee but still very much in play part of the reason for that is another seven and five team they might be interested in texas a&m was just there what last year yes so uh and it's been four years since tennessee was in the gator bowl and and they traveled very well the last time they were there so you've got a texas a&m fan base that might not be very excited even if they hadn't been there last year and then you've got tennessee that you would think fans are going to be very excited about the chance to travel to Florida for a bowl game I after think, the season started, and that, that's going to be a good draw. So I think both the Florida Bulls are going to be very interested interested in Tennessee, and they obviously traveled well to Tampa last time they were there too. The uh, the other concern for the Gator Bowl might be Kentucky, though, and, and maybe the fly in the ointment for, for Tennessee and the Gator Bowl is a potential Kentucky-Indiana game that could happen in Jacksonville. I think if you're Kentucky, you're probably selling to the SEC and to the Gator Bowl that if you get Indiana and get us, that you know that's a sort of a traditional rivalry there's basketball element to it but they also played in football for a long time you could sell that hey our fans will go watch that game anywhere uh so maybe that's sort of the 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 maybe the dark horse scenario that may you know where tennessee might get i don't want to say bump but passed over but uh really the the bowl selection process for the sec it, it becomes a little bit more about clout and uh sort of a beauty contest than than anything else i know tennessee beat kentucky their fan base travels better, but it's, you know, as we saw with the last time Tennessee went to the Gator Bowl, you know, it, that if you have some clout like Dave Hart did that year where he, you know, he, he knows some people down there and I got Tennessee into that game, uh, then you can sort of 
uh, change. Uh, you can sort of make things happen that maybe aren't expected. And 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 if you're, if, you know, I don't think the Music City Bowl is really considering Kentucky because I think they want to take Louisville. They're, just, they're not going to put that rematch up. So uh, there's still a lot of uh, dominoes that could fall in this process that will have to be settled um, after this championship game weekend. And, and honestly, Tennessee's chance at the Outback Bowl might get a boost if Georgia beats LSU. I don't know that Tennessee fans need to be rooting for Georgia on Saturday, but uh, that could sort of cause the kind of ripple effect that bumps everybody up and maybe brings Tennessee into uh, more into play for Tampa. But uh, like I said, the main things right now is that Tennessee wants those two Florida Bowls. It feels like it can. Uh, it'll point to 2015 and 2014 when they traveled well to both those games, and they're obviously going to hope that uh, that they end up there as opposed to a little bit closer to home. Well, and what, one other thing to keep in mind about this, the SEC ultimately is heavily involved in the decision. Uh, yeah, that's why it's that's why it's cloud and a beauty contest, and it's yeah, it's it's a it's a process. So there's more. It's not like it used to be. I know you're thinking, well, the Outback Bowl, you know, gets gets the choice over over them, and then the Gator Bowl. It's not like that. It's not not like that anymore. The SEC sort of just they're in a they're in a group of was it four that are in the same group? Six. No, well, that the Music City Bowl is part of in the in the pecking order. I think. I yeah, it and, and the Texas Bowl and the Belk Bowl, yeah. and also the Liberty Bowl is in there too. But the SEC is not going to be able to fill all those spots, most likely. Right. So, so who gets the preference? Yeah, which SEC bowls uh, get SEC teams this year because there aren't enough to go around? The ones and then, with more money, I think. Yeah, and and then I mean, let's face it, the the two Florida bowls are not the only ones that would want Tennessee. You know, if the Belk Bowl gets an SEC team, they've never had Tennessee. I'm sure they would love to have them. The Music City would love to have them. So there, there are multiple bowls that, that still would be very interested in having Tennessee. So it comes down to more than just those teams or those bowls wanting Tennessee and Tennessee being seven and five. But those things do lead you to believe that, that a Florida bowl is most likely. But I, I say that just because I remember none of us were talking about the Gator Bowl in 2014. None of us. We thought Belt yeah. Bowl, right? Um, so we thought Charlotte, maybe Nashville. And then here comes the Gator Bowl talk at the last minute, sort of popping up as an off-the-radar possibility, like, whoa, how did that happen at 6-6? Six and six? So sometimes these things can surprise you, and the SEC might want to send Tennessee somewhere that we're not talking about. But, yes, Florida looks like the most logical explanation right now. And uh, I think contractually the Liberty Bowl, if there's a shortage uh, in terms of SEC teams, the Liberty Bowl gets left out. Mm -hmm. uh, I think we saw that a few years ago when Memphis played there. Uh, and there's some talk that if uh, if if they can't fill two of the slots and the Belk Bowl will be the other one that gets left out because I think starting next year, that's sort of a every other year agreement with the SEC. So they may, uh, I don't want to say feel a certain type of way about the Belk Bowl, but uh, which is not going to be the Belk Bowl after this year either. But uh, right. their, their agreement with that with that game is going to it's changing after this year. So they may be more inclined to reward. Uh, a bowl that they are sticking with with an SEC team, which would theoretically yeah. be a bigger draw than a replacement team. And the Music City would would fit that description because it's the, their stock has kind of risen with the SEC, I think, in recent years. So that's that's one argument for maybe the Music City still having a shot at Tennessee. And I'll say this too before we go to break: I, I personally think that it's better for Tennessee to play in the biggest bowl possible against the best team possible, even if that means you, you're more likely to lose that game. Uh, for me, I think it's more important for Tennessee to see where it actually stands right now because you can make an argument that winning for the sake of winning is good. You could keep that winning streak going. You could take some momentum going forward. But if I'm Jeremy Pruitt, I, I want to know where my team actually is right now because I thought if I'm Jeremy Pruitt, and I know he said this before, he thought going into the season he had a pretty good team. Uh, not a great team, but a pretty good team. And he didn't see that early in the season. Now he's starting to see 
that he, he, he does have a pretty decent, pretty good team like he thought he had. But if I'm him, I, I want to see just how good it is. I want to play a really good team now that my team has confidence, and I want to see exactly – because if you get humbled – that's okay. You go into the off season, you know where you stand, you know you got a lot more to learn. It might motivate the guys to do more because this game does not the outcome of this game is not really that important, I think. I think the more important thing is getting a beat on where you actually stand right now. Is that crazy? I agree with Wes. I think I think the uh, you want to play the best team you can play. Now, there's probably some teams out there if it's looking like Tennessee's going to play a team from the Big 10 that that probably are not good matchups for the Vols. Um, but uh, you know, you, like I, I think, I think Wes is right. You want to play the most high-profile game you can against the most high-profile team you can, and that's why uh, sort of these Florida Bowls sort of uh, um, have a little bit more ump to them, if you will. Uh, I, you know, anytime you're playing on New Year's Day, it's a big deal in college football, and for the Gator Bowl, that's on January the second at night, um, and I think it's in its own time slot. There's no other games on right now on, on, on at that point, so. Uh, both of those are potential situations where you're sort of on a big stage, some you know, so to speak, a little bit. And uh, and depending on how the Big Ten bowl picture shakes out, you could be getting a, a ranked team. You could be getting a Minnesota who's in the top 20. Uh, you could be getting you know even Michigan who's in the top 15. Although it looks like they could end up in the Citrus Bowl with Alabama, which will be sort of weird to see Alabama playing in the Citrus Bowl. But uh, and even Indiana, I know that's not the the sexiest matchup per se, but Indiana's had a good season and. Uh, that's an eight and four team. That's 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 had a good year, and uh, they also will be hyped up for that game because they haven't been to a game, and they haven't been to a bowl in a couple of years either. So, uh, I agree with Wes. I think you want to play the the most marquee game against the most marquee opponent you can. All right, Ryan, go ahead. Yeah, so you you do, <laughs> but I, I mean, I I also think there's a lot of value in winning this game. Period. So, uh, I, you know, if you told me the choices were, you know, Michigan or Penn State in the Outback Bowl or uh, a Minnesota or Indiana in the in the Gator Bowl, I, I might be more inclined to say that that you'd rather play the the Minnesota or Indiana type team, uh, just because I, I think you I think winning this and getting to eight and five says a lot. And I, at the end of the day, I don't think the average recruit or fan out there that's not a Tennessee fan really remembers much about bowl games at the end of the day. I mean, uh, sure, the, the the more fun matchups can be mem- memorable somewhat for a little while, but. At the end of the day, you can sell eight and five for the entire offseason, uh, and you can sell it as a major step forward for a program that hadn't won eight games in, in three years and uh, and a program that's definitely on the right track uh, after the way they started this season. So I I, I don't know. I see, I see value in both. I think certainly from the fans' perspective, you want an interesting game. So sure, if you're going to travel to Florida, you're, you're, you're pulling for Tennessee, Michigan, or Tennessee, you know, Minnesota at worst. Um, but I, I definitely think there's a lot of value in just winning this game and being able to say you finished the season with six consecutive wins and winning seven of your last eight to get to eight and five, that would be quite a statement for this program with where they were, they were at just two months ago. Yeah, that's a fair point. I still would rather see exactly where I stood against good teams because I'd want to know, you know, Hey, where, where am I, where am I okay here? Where am I not okay? Where do I really have to get better? I think that would just be more important to, to look toward next year, but I see your point too, Ryan. And I think that's why it's an interesting argument because I don't think you can say either way is right or either way is wrong. They're just they're 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 both um, they're both interesting interesting ways to answer the question because I don't think there's an easy answer to it. Guys, we're gonna step away for just a second, pay some bills, listen to some in-house ads, some products, some services, all those fun kind of things. We're gonna take a quick break, come back in just one second, and uh, we're gonna talk a little bit about the portal 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 hashtag ad. 
Rise and shine, football fans. This is Susanna Fuller from Morning Footy, a podcast part of the CBS Sports Galazzo Network covering the breadth of the global game. Join me, Nico Cantor, Charlie Davies, Alexis Guerreros, and guests every morning for the perfect blend of news, analysis, conversation, and exclusive interviews. If you love soccer, then look no further. We've got you covered for Europe's top five leagues, the W Gold Cup, the Champions League Knockout Stage, CONCACAF Nations League, NWSL, MLS, Transfer News, and much more. Download and follow on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and anywhere podcasts are found. Subscribe to Morning Footy. Welcome back to the Go Balls 24-7 podcast brought to you by whatever products, services, and in-house ads you may or may not have heard just a second ago. You're not contra- contractually obligated. You're not ethically, morally, spiritually obligated to listen to the commercials. Uh, but we, we always appreciate when people go out and do those things. Got Wes Rucker, Patrick Brown, and Ryan Callahan coming to you here from our various homes across the, uh, across the East Tennessee region, the Knoxville area. Wes, before you, as we talk about products and services, one thing we should mention, if, if you missed out on our Cyber Monday sale on GoVols 24-7 this week, it's a shame because that was our best sale of the year. Yeah, way to go, idiots. But, but we're still offering one that's 50% off an annual subscription, uh, and that's even for current monthly subscribers who might want to upgrade to annual. So that, that's if you're looking for a stocking stuffer out there for a Tennessee fan, uh, a subscription to GoVols 24-7 is a great great Christmas gift, or, or if you're just a fan wanting to, wanting to check out the site never have before, or maybe you've been on the, the site before and want to come back, you won't find a better price than that. So half off an annual subscription or $1 for the first month. So just wanted to mention that while we were talking about products and services. Got to mention our own, right? I think that's a very good point. I think it's a very good point, Ryan. And that's your one good point for the podcast, so I guess you might as well just go home now. Well, I guess you are <laughs> home already. So <laughs> I'm, I'm going to Costanza this and just walk out on yeah, that one. Just, just, I'm done. I'm done. I'm good. I'm good. Guys, uh, speaking of people leaving places, how about that segue? Tennessee has now had, it looks like there's going to be a few more Vols jumping into the portal. There's at least three Tennessee players who have who have elected to to go that route. A couple of them are offensive linemen, Ryan Johnson and Marcus Tatum, a couple of former starters, guys who maybe it would certainly be nice to keep for quality depth purposes. I'm not sure either will be a starter next year, uh, but certainly not guys that you're just really excited about losing because good good kind of quality depth is hard to find. And while you might not love Johnson and Tatum as starters, uh, a couple guys go down next year, you're going to kind of wish you had them. Ask uh, You could even ask – Alabama right now how much it would love to have Jalen Hurts and, and maybe how differently things could have gone there uh, but those couple guys left and then maybe the more surprising one Gerard Means the freshman who uh, played a little bit of wide receiver played some defensive back this season was kind of bouncing oh, around back and forth Jer- Jared Means but it's okay you don't need to know how to pronounce his name anymore right I mean it looks like Gerard <laughs> that's fair I mean I'm, I'm just listen I'm saying that if you like if I try to tell people my name was Weiss I think people would be like no that's stupid it's Wes so well, that, what's, the, what's the office space reference? Not gonna, not gonna work here no more. Yeah. Why, why should I check? She's the one who sucks. Yeah. Um, but that one was the more surprising, I think of the, uh, of the entries. And there might be more than that. It's three right now, but there could be more than that. And Tennessee might add players through the portal. It might send some more players to the portal. It might have another, uh, Karat Garland situation where a guy enters the portal in Knoxville and exits it coming right back to Knoxville. You never know. This portal thing can be rather mysterious. Uh, but I think this is another sign that if, you know, when people think about the portal, they start getting so excited and they think about players they can add. And I think people forget this is a two-way door here. This is a two-way street and that you can also lose players. 
Yeah, and I, I think it, you know, it's it's going to be I don't want to say tougher to keep experience depth nowadays, but um, you know, guys are going to want to you know, they they want to play, especially older guys that have one or two years left and, and are thinking about their uh, futures in football. You know, you're not going to get to the next level, whether that be the NFL or somewhere else, uh, standing on the sideline. So you got to play, and, and I think in, in the case of both Ryan Johnson and Marcus Tatum, uh, who have. Uh, address their situations in, in classy letters uh, on Twitter. Uh, we've written both of those on the site. If you haven't seen them, go check them out. Uh, both really classy stand-up guys that, that took the high road and, and sort of expressing themselves. But, um, yeah, I mean, neither of these guys were playing a whole lot. Johnson was sort of buried on the depth chart. Uh, and, and, and in Tatum's case, Tennessee played four guys at offensive tackle against Vanderbilt. Uh, and he was not one of them. So in his case, he's probably thinking at that, you know, next season, he's probably the fifth best option at, at tackle potentially on the team. And that's not a, an ideal situation for him if he wants to keep playing this game. So, um, you know, the, but those guys are, are set up academically to, uh, to graduate soon and, and be immediately, uh, immediately eligible to play in 2020. So, um, you know, I, I think it, it's tough to keep some of those guys around. And I think if you're, uh, people want to know if, you know, with these kind of, I don't want to say exoduses, but when, when guys sort of uh, start going out in, in bunches, people are wondering, are they running guys off? I don't think that's the situation, but uh, if one of those guys comes to you and, and as, as a staff or as a coach and, and wants to talk about transferring, you have to be open with them and say, you know, you, you'll probably be another bat. You'll probably be a backup again. You have to be honest about those things. Obviously, you don't want to lose these guys. You never want to lose uh, multiple guys um, at the same position uh, in, in sort of one cycle because you have to re- – you know, obviously you have to replace them, but um, I think you have to be sort of honest about their situations and understand that they've got to do what's best for them. So uh, Means is sort of a bit of an outlier situation. I'm not sure really what the, the deal is there. He's kind of been, uh, I thought he was dealing with an injury. He was at practice as, as recently as last week. So um, he's been sort of part of the team, around the team, um, but obviously, uh, and, and they already took him off the online roster. So that appears uh, to say a lot to me about, uh, what his future looks like at Tennessee, and it looks like his future will be somewhere else. Yeah, yeah and, go ahead, Ryan. Well, I think one of the things to keep in mind about this too, like the the timing of it, could always be uh, be part of this. And you know, there there might have been a lot of conversations with the staff too, but the coaches are on the road recruiting, so you know, it's it's always possible that some of these decisions were made uh, without you know even having an in person conversation. Maybe they just called the coach to, coaches to let them know, hey, I'm 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 putting my name in the transfer portal, so. Uh, that that could always play a part in it too, and, and maybe Tennessee just couldn't talk them out of it because I, yeah, I can assure you that Tennessee did not want to lose these guys, experienced guys like that, that that provide depth. But this is just kind of the reality. I know it's frustrating for fans who are looking at this now and saying it's been, you know, what four or five years now that Tennessee's been really struggling to build and keep depth on the offensive line. It looked like they were finally just starting to get there, and now you lose a couple guys in Ryan Johnson and Marcus Tatum, who yeah, probably didn't project as starters next year but who were very much in the mix to be that sixth, seventh, eighth guy on, on the offensive line who were who very valuable. You're going to need those guys at some point. So, um, you know, especially if Trey Smith goes pro after this year, decides to leave early for the NFL draft, that takes down your depth a little bit. And it just it just adds to the importance of continuing to build your your young depth. You know, guys like Chris Aperogane, Jackson Lampley, you know, they need to develop and become those next guys in line uh, on the depth chart because that you're, you're losing guys that you could count on next year in case of an injury. So you've got to continue to recruit well and continue to develop because, um, you know, Jeremy Pruitt's talked about before, I think you want 15 or 16 
scholarship offensive lineman ideally and that, that's the ideal number but it's just hard to get there and stay there so you got to make sure the ones you have on the roster are good and are coming along and are able to fill those holes when you need them because of injuries and i'll say this too about the offensive line situation in in, in specifics you know the we all know that offensive linemen, there's a couple things. One, they're usually some of the smartest guys on the team. And two, they usually redshirt more than other guys in the program. So between those two things happening, you're going to have a lot of grad transfer possibilities on the offensive line pretty much every year, I think. Because you have guys that, that oftentimes can get their degree, especially when they have you know access to things like the Thornton Center and they're already pretty smart guys to begin with. You know, they can get their degrees in three, three and a half years. And then if they redshirt, you know, they're looking at one, if not two seasons of full eligibility after they earn their degree. So when they graduate, they don't even have to worry about, you know, kind of a, a potential to sit out somewhere. They can go wherever they want and they can play. And, and I think you're gonna have a lot of these situations, you know, Brandon Kennedy came to Tennessee from that same exact situation. Really smart kid, got his degree with two years left to play, uh, and, and he might get a sixth season now because of his injury history, and we'll see about that. We know he's trying to do that now. So I think you're going to have this situation specifically on the offensive line pretty much every year. And if you're Tennessee, what you have to hope for is in uh, for every one of these guys or for every two of these guys you lose, you're able to add one. Maybe there's a guy who plays – Maybe there's a, a really, really good player who's at the FCS level and he's been dominant there and he gets his degree in three years and he still has a, a year left to play. And he says, you know, I want to go to the SEC to really test myself to see if I can help my draft stock for next season. And he wants to transfer. You know, maybe there's a coaching change somewhere and, and a guy says, you know what, I want to leave this place. I want to go, you know, Tennessee's got a good thing going. You know, I like Coach Pruitt or Coach Cheney or whoever in recruiting. I want to go over there now. So you have to hope now that if you're Tennessee for every two of these guys that you lose, you maybe gain one because it's going to be hard for everybody to build quality depth now. Uh, pretty much at any position, uh, but I think especially up front because that's where you're going to have the most potential for movement. Everybody talks about the quarterbacks, and, and they should because three of the, the teams that are either going to definitely be in or might be in the, 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 the college football playoff this season are quarterbacked by you know guys who, who transferred over. So you're going to see quarterbacks, and that's always going to be the, the main talking point, but I think offensive line is a real, real interesting position to watch there every year. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I, I really wonder, though, with this portal, and, and I think the Monday after the regular season is going to start becoming known as Transfer Portal Monday. I don't know how many players re- went into the database on Monday, but it seemed like a lot. I mean, I think I saw Coastal Carolina had 10 guys. Wow. I mean, it's just it's insane. Um, and I wonder, is the NCAA going to have to sort of, because uh, it's going to, you know, if, if you're only allowed to bring in 25 guys every year and, um, and, and grad transfers count towards those 25 numbers, it's going to be hard to, to build your roster back up to the full allotment in, in some years. So uh, I don't know if you're going to, I don't know if the NCAA is going to address that and say there's sort of a, for every transfer you lose, you can bring one in and not have a count. If it's a two-for-one kind of thing where every two players you, you lose through the, through the portal, you, get, you can get one back, you get an extra spot or whatever. I, I, don't, I don't know. Uh, until then, you're going to have to be, selective you're you're going to have to determine and, and, and this will sort of segue into recruiting uh which is the thing that we're going to talk about next but uh you, you only have so many spots and, and you've got to determine do you want a guy that you can maybe plug a gap for a year at a certain position uh if you can get them or, or do you kind of stick to just bringing in high school players or junior college transfers that you can develop and have for for maybe more than one year so um and, and that's it's sort of a difficult situation and, and it's an interesting situation in, in Tennessee's case I don't think the 85 is really a in jeopardy for them next season because they only have I think like nine seniors leaving right now so uh, it may not be a, a situation for Tennessee f- for now but in the future 
you know, if they have a, a, a big senior class one year and then some guys decide to leave, it's going to be hard for them to, to fill all those spots back up and they may have to get uh, make sure they, they get some of the guys they want as, as walk-ons and, and things like that. Pat, I really like the two-for-one idea because I think if you make it one-for-one, then you'll have more situations where coaches abuse well, that rule by running agency, guys yeah. off. Yeah, because yeah. I think that, that if it's one-for-one, then I think coaches will start running guys off. Whereas if it's two-for-one, you're saying, listen, if you run guys off, you're still going to have to do a two-for-one. But that way, if kids are just genuinely leaving, a, a school's not necessarily punished too badly for that. So I, I think, you know, uh, you know two-for-one, something like that, you know, Makes three, three for two. Makes too much sense for the NCAA to do it, though. Yeah, I, I think that, that still, that's something that it could It still does be. open the door for people being able to run off players, and that's, uh, that's the thing they've been trying to combat. And I'll say this, too. I mean, I, I know it's frustrating for Tennessee, a, a program like them trying to – trying to get back to 85 when you haven't been there or whatever, you know, they were really in bad, in bad shape with that, you know, several years ago, like during, you know, after they had three coaching changes in five years or whatever, you know, we've seen it worse than it is now for sure. But with Tennessee trying to get back to 85 for the first time under Jeremy Pruitt, really, um, they, it, it's frustrating to have to deal with that. But when you think about how the numbers work, you know, you think well over four years, you can only sign a hundred players and you've got to have 85. So you can only afford to lose 15 over a four year period. But then when you throw in fifth-year seniors, you might have 10 or so fifth-year seniors some years. So you could potentially have a pool of 110 players, and of those, you just need to not lose more than 25 in a four-year span to, to be able to have 85. So when you think of it that way, you still have plenty of room to have attrition and still have a lot of things built in and not be way under the 85 scholarship limit. So I don't think it's as bad as people are thinking, but it is a concern. I do think if we continue to see these uh, the, these you know mass departures, having ten guys leave right after the regular season ends, it's it's something to keep an eye on for sure. But I, I think people kind of bemoaning this. I, I don't know if the numbers quite bear out that it's the it's the five alarm fire that people are thinking it is. I think most teams are losing a handful of guys each year, but it's not you know you're, we're not seeing many of the ten to fifteen each year. It's just yeah, kinda... yeah. Coastal Carolina seems to be the. That's that's the extreme. Losing ten guys in a day, or having ten guys go in the portal a day. And we should mention that. Uh, not everybody that goes into the portal leaves. We saw that with Garland. There's been a couple other guys that Tennessee has had that have gone into the portal and stayed. So, um, but it seems like in the in the three cases of the guys that are in the portal now, recently this week for Tennessee, it seems like they're all uh, going to be moving on. But I, I I think the portal's good. I mean, I, I think it gives players a little bit more um, more. I don't want to say freedom, but uh, it's easier for them to sort of explore their options um, easier than it used to be. So. Um, anything I think that makes it easier on players or some, anything the NCAA does in favor of players, I'm, I'm typically for. And so, and, and Jeremy Prude has, has been outspoken that he's a, a, pro, a proponent of, of the portal as well. So um, I, I think it's, I know a lot of people are upset about it and, and don't like to see their players go into the portal, but I think it's good for college football. The other thing about it, too, is if everybody's short on space uh, and do- doesn't have room or doesn't want to spend a spot in their 25-man class on a, on a transfer or grad transfer, it limits their options. So we've seen a lot of players go in the transfer portal and not really find a better home and end up taking a major step down or just going back to the school they were at before because they didn't find anything better on the market. So I, I, I still think we're in a feeling out process with it. I think it is becoming more common, certainly for players to take advantage of that. But the bottom line is with the way transfers have to count that not everybody can leave. Just, you know, schools aren't signing 15 players a year. They're still signing close to 25 for the most part. And when you do that, not everybody has room to add graduate transfers and things like that. So it's, it's tricky. And it's, it's something that is as limited players options when they do decide to transfer 
And, and that's one of the reasons I'm not sure it's as widespread of a problem as people think, just because the numbers aren't there for all that many guys to move on in some cases. Ryan, before we step away for at the end of this segment, I, I do think we, we talked about this. We do need to to mention recruiting here. And I know that it's two weeks until uh, the the early signing period begins. So it's like the first of two Christmases, I, I guess. But, you know, wh- where are things for Tennessee at the moment? I know some of our very best VIP premium recruiting content is going to stay on the checkerboard, and you're going to have to give us real cash American dollars for that. But for some stuff, I think we can go ahead and discuss this. Kind of where it, are things with Tennessee kind of from a macro standpoint and, and what's going to happen the next couple of weeks that we can talk about? Yeah, well, I mean, obviously, you know, Tennessee's coaches have been on the road a lot this week. You've seen Jeremy Pruitt already covering quite a bit of ground. You know, he's been out west to see guys like Vi Cajo, the three-star Nevada linebacker commitment, who actually decommitted from Nevada this week and and now is looking heavily at Tennessee and and, and maybe maybe Colorado as well. Uh, you've seen him in, in state visiting guys like the the the, the Whitehaven trio from Memphis of, of Bryson Eason, Tamaria McDonald and uh, Martavius French, the all three Tennessee commitments. So uh, covering a lot of ground, visiting those guys, and you know, a lot of top targets still on the board. And they, the reality is they've still got several spots to fill, but there's so many names out there still on the board that I, the, the, it really could go a lot of different ways uh, with how Tennessee f- finishes. You know, obviously in-state, you, you know, two of the biggest names left on the board for Tennessee are Omari Thomas, the, the four-star defensive lineman from the Memphis area, Briarcrest Christian School, who will be announcing his decision Monday morning. And, and that looks like uh, a primarily a Tennessee-Auburn battle going down the stretch. He was just at Auburn last weekend on his official visit there. Uh, has talked about going to Florida this weekend, but it looks like that now might not happen. So uh, we'll, we'll see how he spends the final weekend before announcing his decision. But Tennessee certainly has a, a, a at least a good shot there. And then uh, Tyler Barron, another in-state guy, but here locally at Knoxville Catholic High School and, and you know, Tennessee's obviously been in that one from the beginning, but it looks like mainly best a Tennessee- high school, best high school on the planet. But go ahead. <laughs> uh, mainly a Tennessee Kentucky battle down the stretch there. And Kentucky just made its uh, visit with him with Mark Stoops and, and a couple of assistants visiting with Barron uh, on, on Monday night, I believe it was. So uh, so, yeah, some important visits already happening. And what you're seeing is now the regular season ended on November 30th, which is obviously very late in, in the calendar year. And because of that and when the early signing period is, what used to be or what often is a three-week window for coaches to make all their visits before the early signing period, this week is only two weeks, which, first of all, is really problematic for those unfortunate teams like Arkansas and Florida State that have been searching for new coaches because it really diminishes the time they're going to have to to you know throw together a class and, and fi- find a way to get some guys in December and, and it's also problematic for teams like Georgia and LSU that are playing for conference titles. You know, they're practicing this week instead of being on the road for the most part. And, and that's that's a, a hindrance there. But even for schools like Tennessee that have two full weeks to focus on recruiting, Jeremy Pruitt's got a lot of ground to cover and only two weeks to do it. And you get one head coach visit with every player. But just to, to hit on all the guys he needs to, all the Tennessee commitments, all the targets, it's a lot of work to do. So uh, there's a lot of strategy that sometimes goes into the timing of these visits. But in some cases, you know, guys like, Darnell Washington, five-star tight end out in Las Vegas. Tennessee's already had to visit him and not wait until the last minute just because you have so much ground to cover. You've got to visit somebody early, and they went ahead and did that one with, with Tennessee maybe getting an official visit uh, down the stretch uh, before the the early signing period. So a lot to be decided, but, yeah, Tennessee's in good shape with a number of guys right now, and I think there's still a number of different ways this could go with, you know, as, as we talk about the offensive linemen leaving, uh, you know, even a guy like Jared Means leaving. 
you know, that's just an example of how many needs Tennessee has. I mean, you could make an argument for them to take another player at literally every position on the roster. And at the end of the day, right now, they only have seven spots to fill um, if, if they're signing 25. So uh, with 18 commitments left or, or on board right now and seven spots left, that's a that's going to lead to some tough decisions if things go well for them down the stretch. But they need defensive linemen. They need edge rushers. They, they they still would like to to add some skill players on offense, primarily running back, but you know even a even a receiver or, or certainly tight end like Darnell Washington would be a good possibility if they could take him. Obviously, they're not turning him down. So a lot of different ways this could play out, but but Tennessee's in the mix for some good players, and I think has a chance to finish pretty strong uh, with everything kind of right now focused on those in-state guys. Obviously, Amari Thomas and Tyler Barron being kind of the the main big names in addition to Darnell Washington. Yeah, I think that there, there's a lot in play here, and I know that people have been some people have been get, kind of getting worried, and you know, because because Pruitt and his, these guys, you know, you got the Pruitt's been the national recruiter of the year, T. Martin's been the national recruiter of the year, Brian Niedermeyer's the reigning national recruiter of the year, so there's a lot of recruiting heavyweights on this staff, and people are saying, well, why isn't this class rated higher? Let's see where it ends. Let's see where it ends. I, I agree that. If you had told me months ago to guess where this class would have been right now in the rankings, I probably would have guessed higher than where it is right now, if I'm being honest with you. But uh, this thing's not done yet. Let's let's see where these guys where these guys uh, end up because I you know they closed strong on Toto last year. You know there, there's some guys they were able to sneak in and get, and I don't I don't think they're done yet. No, they're definitely not, and and they're ranked 20th right now. To your point, um, you know 18 commitments, and and it's not a star-studded class from that perspective because you only have two players right now that are ranked in the top 200 in, in the 24-7 sports composite rankings, and those are Keyshawn Lawrence, the four-star defensive back from Innsworth over in Nashville, and then Harrison Bailey, obviously the four-star quarterback who's been kind of the linchpin of this class for more than a year. And and, and other than that, you're, still, you're, you're kind of looking that there's some other good, fairly highly ranked players, but you don't have that top tier of guys. But that, again, like you said, last year is when they kind of got that top tier. They added Darnell Wright late. They added Quavaris Crouch uh, the last day of the early signing period, and they got Henry Toto on, on National Signing Day also, in addition to Wright. So um, still a lot that could happen down the stretch, and that's where, again, everybody's looking to you know those guys who can really move the needle in the rankings. Darnell Washington's a five-star, the number 10 player in the, in the country in the 24-7 sports composite rankings. Omari Thomas just outside the top 100 nationally. Tyler Barron also just outside the top 100 nationally. So those are guys who would move the needle, you know, still – Still trying with guys like Jay Hardy, the the Auburn defensive line commitment from Chattanooga. You know, you can't rule out anything there. So still just a ton of possibilities out there. And that's that's just sort of the tip of the iceberg. But a lot of things that still could change how this class looks on signing day. And, you know, I, I've toyed around with our class calculator on 24-7 sports. If you've never checked that out and you're a big recruiting fan. Really cool I, toy. I, I highly recommend it on, under the football recruiting tab. You can sort of uh, mess around with the different uh, possibilities out there this time of year. Uh, at any time of year, but especially now as you're, you're filling in just six or seven guys to fin- finish out a class. And, and I, I tried that a, a couple weeks ago and just plugged in kind of a realistic finish for Tennessee. You know, a couple big names in there. I think I might have included Amari Thomas and Tyler Barron just to kind of see how it looked. And at that time, a finish like that would have given Tennessee a score that would have ended up either 16th or 17th the past two years or 12th three years ago. So I think that's just kind of a reminder that where you're going to finish in the team rankings depends greatly on what other teams around you do. Um, so I, I think they're going to have a good class. They're going to finish strong and get some good players, I think, down the stretch. But, I, you know, how whether it's 13th or 16th or, you know, 12th or 17th might just depend on what other teams around them do and how many other teams are affected by these coaching searches and all of that. 
Um, so I think there's a lot, uh, so many wild cards this time of year, and, and not the least of which is individual players' rankings changes. There are still a lot of rankings updates to be, that will that will happen over the next month or two, and, and that's a big variable. So we'll we'll see how that all shakes out. But I do think Tennessee is going to be in the mix for at least. Uh, you know, a potential top 15 class if things go the way they want down the stretch. I think that's a fair thing to say, Ryan. And I think that's also a fair, fair way to uh, a good, good way to end this segment. We're going to take a quick break. We're going to step away, pay some bills, listen to some products and services and in-house ads and all those other fun things. And then we're going to come back. And as always on Thursday morning, we're going to, we're going to get to your questions submitted to the Go Vols 24-7 checkerboard. Hashtag. It's the NFL offseason, but on Pick 6, part of the CBS Sports Podcast Network, the football season never stops. Host Will Brinson, John Breach, and Tyler Sullivan are joined by analysts like Brady Quinn, Leslie Ducible, Katie Mox, and R.J. White to keep you in the loop on everything happening around the league. Whether it's free agents signing with new teams, the all-important NFL draft, or schedule release day, Pick 6 has you covered. As the face of the league changes with every team move and player pickup this spring, Pick 6 is a must Listen, download, and follow on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, the Odyssey app, and anywhere podcasts are found. Welcome back to the Go Balls 24-7 podcast brought to you by whatever products, services, and in-house ads you may or may not have just heard a second ago. Uh, as always, you are not you are not morally, ethically, spiritually, uh, contractually obligated to go back and listen to those commercials. You can just hit the fast-forward button, but for those who stick around and listen to them, we, we appreciate that. Wes Rucker coming to you from Fort Rucker Studio. Patrick Brown and Ryan Callahan coming to you from their their casas across town from here. And as you know, as we all know with Pat, he, he happily will give everyone his address. He puts it on Twitter pretty much every day, uh, lets everyone know exactly uh, where, where he lives, what the license plate number on his vehicle is, uh, all those fun things. Isn't that right, Pat? Yeah, y'all don't need none of that. I don't even want to tell the government that, but that's a whole other podcast. <laughs> that, that would be a whole other podcast, and that was a teaser because I think coming up we're going to have a question that pokes fun at Pat's private nature. So uh, we're going to have we're going to have a good time with this, guys. As always, we we get to your questions. These are submitted on the uh, GoBoss twenty four seven checkerboard. We we tend to release this this thread out here about an hour or so, forty five minutes, an hour before we we record the podcast nice. and. I just read the first question. It's it's great. Yeah, it is a good one. It is a good one this week. It's actually not from Haynes sixty two. It's from uh, it's from someone else. But Haynes is in there. Don't don't you worry. Haynes, Haynes like a moth to a Haynes, flame gets in there. He is inspired as well. Yes, yes, he is. It's a couple of good questions for him coming up. We're going to start with, uh, and, and I should give you a heads up here. If you start to hear a little bit of a barking or a yipping, uh, the 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 great puppy has has risen. So uh, he's being quiet right now, but I don't know how much longer that's going to last. So if you hear a little nipping in a minute, that, that's what's going to be the, the issue there. Uh, first question from BGO Snell 151. What's the average age of the coaches that will be hired at Arkansas, Ole Miss, and Mizzou? I'll go 46. If, if, Will, Healy, if Will Healy is one of them, it'll, that'll drop the age. Isn't he pretty young? Yeah, he's a young dude. Uh, I'll go 42. Ryan, yours? Um, that's yeah, yeah. I'll say I'll say forty. I'll go younger. Oh wow, that's really young. Because because Healy's thirty four. I mean he's he's young, but he's not a he's not a total baby. But he's he is a he is a he is a young guy. I think uh, at least in you know in, unless you know one of those is able to to snag a Mike Leach or somebody like that. 
he would obviously drive the average age up a little bit. But I think those guys, for the most part, would try to go young and exciting. That seems like uh, would be something that would be a good idea for all three of those programs to either go get an experienced veteran uh, who who can stabilize the thing or a guy who's really young and exciting. So I think those. Yeah, are let me change my answer. Forty forty three probably sounds about right because. Yeah, you're going to get some 50s in there somewhere probably. Okay, so our final answers were 46 for me, 43 for you, and 42 for Pat. So basically, you just really wanted to screw Pat there. Because if we went by well, prices right there, he has to hit it right on the head. He, he's No, he's got the younger options. So, you know, anything below 42, he wins. No, if you're over, you you don't. it's prices right. If you're over, you don't get it. Oh, well, then you're really screwing yourself because you're going on the high end. Yeah, you, you should have gone uh, one year, Bob, one-year-old Bob. That would have yeah. been the, the proper answer. Next question, MDVol91. Uh, let's see if I can read this properly. Then, uh, as I'm reading this in my head, this Left looks right, like something to that... Bo- top to bottom. Yeah, take a he- Tylenol for any headaches, might all for any cramps. We'll get to... I'm, I'm guessing this is going to be one Ryan's going to have to answer. How? Maybe maybe we'll be able to help. Question from MDVol91. How does a conversation go when a recruit is offered a scholarship but then is told they can't commit yet because they aren't a priority? I know it happens a lot, especially this time of year where plan B options are required, but I'm just surprised that so many kids waited out instead of saying, screw you and looking elsewhere. Uh, well, you know, this This actually, it's, it's funny how this works out. I mean, usually it takes care of itself because you can sort of just tell from how often you're talking with the school, you know, how much you're a priority. And, and it, it does get a little trickier down the stretch because you have to actively recruit players that you're maybe not ready to take at, at any particular moment, but that you might be willing to take at the end. Um, just, you know, if you miss out on some guys or whatever. So it, it does get trickier. But in general, the, those conversations don't have to happen as often as you might think because if a team isn't talking to you, you probably shouldn't try to call and commit to them and you're probably not going to want to commit to them if they're not recruiting you heavily so most of the time it's it's sort of just a natural thing but it does happen sometimes that yeah a team that's actively recruiting you and talking to you you'll call them up and try to tell the coaches and and uh you know i i don't know i've never been on the line for those conversations you hear about them sometimes but uh sometimes they'll they'll try to be polite or try to wiggle out of it and and sometimes you want players to to you know still be an option but just maybe say you're not ready to take them just yet you might say well, are, are you sure you want to do something this soon? You know, we, you know, you might just want to give it a little more time, take another visit. You know, sometimes you might just kind of politely talk them out of it and, and try to say, you know, maybe take a little more time. Uh, so it just depends on the situation. But um, that's that's the tricky thing. You don't always know until you call the call the coaches and find out for sure. So it's just a it's something that players have to get a feel for based on the way they're being recruited. And beyond that, it's a you don't always know the answer until you're ready to call the coaches and, and just try to commit. So it. it I'd love to hear one of those conversations, but I personally haven't. Next question from Haynes62. He said, what is the average age? Wait, something isn't right here. I don't know what to do with my hands. Anybody out there got any idea on what my weekly question should be now? For now, (laughs) yeah, for now I have this question. What's the next, what's the best thing that happened to each of you this week? That includes Patrick, who holds onto his personal life tighter than a hobo with a sandwich. Does this mean I have to answer first? Apparently, yeah. I mean, it was it was more. I think it was mostly addressed to you, if I'm being honest. <laughs> uh, well, right now, uh, Liverpool's beating Everton four two, which is always fun. So there you go. Uh, that's pretty, that's been pretty good. That that's that's a pretty good thing that's happening, Ryan. This, this week, so since what? Since Sunday or since Monday? Uh, take your pick. Um, honestly, if it's since Sunday, I might say the Titans beating the Colts for the first time in like forever. Um. It's it's busy season uh, for for our, for me, so I haven't had a lot happening besides you know 
working. But yeah, that's that's a good thing, right? The Titans are actually in the playoff hunt. Yeah, the uh, the Cubs lost Cole Hamels, so I'm not really that jazzed up about that. To, to the Atlanta Braves, as it were. The Atlanta. Did they want it back? I, I I didn't hear much on that. Yeah, the uh, the the Atlanta Braves. Yeah, the uh, that was that was that was unfortunate. Uh, but one year, eighteen million dollars. Can't blame him for taking that much money. So that sucked. Um, let's see here. Anything else happened that was good? Now we got the puppy last week. So, but he hadn't gone to the bathroom in the house this week. I might go with that. Uh, my wife and I enjoyed sushi for her birthday. That was nice. Uh, we had some sushi and wine. That was a, a nice birthday party. So uh, I might say that. That was interesting. Got to celebrate the uh, the birthday uh, of my beautiful wife. So I might have to go with that. But I don't I don't know that I've got anything better than that. Although if I said I had something better than that, I might get in trouble. So I'm going to go right. with that. I'm going to go with that. Uh, can I can I make an addition? Sure. Uh, I'll throw in getting uh, getting the scoop on Marcus Tatum in the portal last night. It's always good to. There you go. First on some news. There you go. There you go. There. Hey, there's nothing wrong. You know what, Pat? It's not. It's not. Uh, it's not bragging if it's just accurate, right? You know. Well, I'm not trying to brag. It's it's just a good feeling. No, it is a good feeling. It's a great yeah. feeling. It's, Shout out to my hashtag sources. <laughs> it's a, it's right. and, and you know what? It's weird that ever since I've kind of gone to more of a columnist role and don't even not like I'm not in there trying to. I mean, I'm still trying to break news, but it's not like obsessed with it now because that's what you really intelligent people are for. But I do kind of miss that feeling of when you get something like that, you're like, ooh, you know, it's a good feeling. It's a good feeling. I know what you're talking about, Pat. Uh, so that's that, That's a good one. Next question, Haynes62. Greg Schiano. That's, that's a good start right there. It's just Greg Schiano. Greg Schiano said the people of I Rutgers. Got a, I think we've got multiple Schiano questions coming up. Oh, boy. Greg Schiano said the people of Rutgers are sharper than those in Tennessee. I know Pruitt isn't the type of coach to respond, but what do you think he thinks about that comment? I would be genuinely surprised if Jeremy Pruitt has even seen those comments at this point because Jeremy Pruitt is on the road recruiting and that man loves to recruit and that is he's got a one track mind right now. Yeah, and he, he doesn't care. In. And he doesn't care about Greg Schiano. I mean that that's not a guy that's closely tied to him, so who cares? It's a guy making a comment and he's he's in a different conference, so it's the least of his concerns. I'm sure Tennessee fans care a lot more than Jeremy Pruitt does about that right now. But you know, I'm sure he'd say, well, that's probably not the smartest thing to say. Yeah, you know, it's interesting that, that Pruitt, like, unlike just about any, I don't want to say unlike anyone else I've ever known, but but basically when his, the way he works, he's certainly on the upper edges of this. He cares very, very deeply about the things he chooses to care about, and he could not care less about anything else. It's like if he wants to talk about it or if he's interested in talking about it or he's focused on it, he will be completely engaged. He'll have a great conversation with him. He's a smart guy. He'll give you all kinds of good stuff. If he doesn't care, he'll tell you, I don't really care. And, and then and then he'll move on. And I don't think this is something he cares about. But I got to say, he's probably happy with Shiano, uh, at least in the past, because uh, Shiano, the, the deal with Tennessee falling through, allowed him to get the Tennessee job and make a lot more money and get his first head coaching job. So, uh, you know, because after Mississippi State, which, boy, you think Mississippi State's regretting not uh, not not hiring Pruitt one year before Tennessee did? Think they're think they're regretting that? I think they might be. Think they think they might be regretting that, but we will see. Uh, I think, but I, I think the answer is he doesn't. He doesn't really care. Uh, next question, also Haynes sixty two, Jeremy Pruitt versus Greg Schiano in hand to hand combat. The winner gets the last piece of cornbread. Who is victorious? Man, that's a tough one. 
Um, if it's I'll cornbread, go. I'm gonna go with Pruitt. Yeah, I, I think I would go with Pruitt. Shiano's Shiano's a little older, right? He's in his what fifties? Uh, yeah, he's fifty three. Yeah, I, I'm going with the younger guy. I think Pruitt's Pruitt's. You know, he, he's not he's not in his thirties or whatever, but he's he's a young enough guy, and he's still got a lot of fight in him. So I I, I would take Pruitt on that one. Well, Shiano was a linebacker in college, but at Bucknell. So you know, Pruitt was a safety, right? And Pruitt was a safety who played at MTSU and then Alabama. So Pruitt played at a higher level. I think uh, you could probably say that Shiano was the more productive at a higher level too. Yeah. So uh, I I think that you know I think when you look at it, you you would say now the the thing that makes it easy is cornbread because if it's cornbread on the line, we know how Jeremy Pruitt. I told you there's things he cares about and things he doesn't care about. That that guy cares about cornbread. He loves him some cornbread. So I think if cornbread is the is the carrot at the end of the stick, I, I I think he wins. But if it's just straight up, I still think it might be Pruitt. But I'm not sure. I I think it, it's been a while uh, since I've like been in the same room or like in a game where like you saw Shiano. So it's been been a while. But I I, I think Pruitt would still have a chance to take him. That that would be my guess. Uh, next question is from Stallion Vol. What is the best thing and the worst thing about the press box in Neyland Stadium? Uh, I would say that the worst thing is probably it's really hot in the air. Um, uh, you're, you're up there a ways. And yeah, so, like A&M, uh, you're way up there. Yeah, I, I like the press boxes that are a little bit lower. Uh, I like the ones that are open, too, but I'm not going to complain about uh, closed press boxes uh, in November when it's cold and rainy like it is yeah. here. Um, so, uh, the best thing is, um, what is the best thing about it? It's maybe it's just comfort. It's just kind of knowing where everything is. I think uh, it's a nice press you know. box as far as press boxes yeah, it, go to. It's, it's nice. I mean, it's, it's not, you're not, it you're can not get cramped. a little cramped, but, um, I mean, that's, that's kind of part of it. But, um, uh, you know, I, I think it's got a good setup. There's, there's genuinely food there available at all times, which is nice. That's not always the case at other places. So uh, I think it's uh, it's one of my favorite ones in the league. It's also sort of the, the home one. So that that's going to be you know, that obviously factors into it. Yeah, yeah. I, I'd, I'd rather it be lower to the ground uh, because Tennessee is like A&M. You're kind of up there in the Goodyear blimp looking down. That's kind of unfortunate. And I'd rather it be uh, at least have the option to be open air, which it currently right. does not. Uh, and I, I suspect it'll be the same when we move over to the other side in a couple of years or next year. Is it next year when we move over to the other side? Two, two more years. I think it's after 2020. After 2020, we will move to the other side. So, And I imagine it'll be the same thing over there. But, you know, I, I like having the open air option. It, it gives you a better feel for the game itself. Uh, but then again, it also makes it harder to hear stats and stuff like that when you when you need to hear things from the update speaker. So, you know, I, the, there's pluses and minuses to both. I got to tell you, I've never had a problem with Tennessee's press box. I think they do a pretty good job getting you in and out of it. Getting down to the field's not too bad considering the size of the stadium. So, I, I, I to me, it's probably one of the five or so best press boxes in the league. But you know, I'd rather it be open air and closer. Yeah, I, that would be my. I, I, Tennessee's farther north than most of the SEC schools that have the open air press boxes, so I don't think you want an open air. Uh, Alabama was almost a little bit cold this year when we had to go there, and the game was in the upper 50s, I think, that night. So you're in open air for games like that. If you were at Tennessee and had like you know Saturday night, what we had open air, that wouldn't be very fun. So you need the option to close it, but yeah, I, that would be the only thing for me. And 
I, I can't believe neither of you guys mentioned the ice cream selection. Uh, it's it's top. I've been trying top, to I've been trying to cut down my sugar it, intake. Right? I've, 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 I've lost like twenty five pounds. I've lost twenty five pounds by SEC cutting out sugar on the ice cream selection. I gotta say, I'm twenty five pounds slimmer because I've watched the sugar intake. So I've well, got yeah. So I'm 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 but but when I when I do love some ice cream though, and they do have it there on hand, so that that is good. Although I think is what is it Mississippi State and Mizzou like they make their own ice cream, so they got some neat things there too. But uh, I think there's pluses and minuses to all of them. Next question, Law Vol Reb said, what's the experience like for y'all to cover bowl games? Do you enjoy it or just bear it and get through it? Uh, I'll go first. I'll say that I love my job, and, and anytime I complain about my job, it's basically still saying I still love my job. I wish this thing was better about it, but I still love it, and there's nothing else I'd rather do. So I, we're all lucky. I think we're all very, very lucky to do what we do for a living. Uh, but to be honest with you, uh, the reason I don't love covering bowl games is because you're normally at a, you know, not always, but usually at a pretty cool place, and you don't get to really enjoy it because you're working the entire time. It's like everybody talks about SEC spring meetings in May every year in Destin. I hate those damn things because you get there – and you spend the entire week at a beach and you don't ever actually get to go to the beach. So that it's like kind of a tease. So from that standpoint, I don't really love it, but that's just me. Kind of sounds like you're overworking yourself because when Tennessee went to the two Florida Bowls, I went to the beach for a day, like both times. So, I mean, kind of sounds like that's a you problem. <laughs> hey, might be, man. Might be. Especially these days, man. Uh, my, my, my brain sucks after the stroke. I, it takes uh, me longer to do everything. Um, and so uh, it depends on the location. Um, I've only covered three bowl games in my, this is my ninth football season full time. So, um, it's still a little bit, uh, new to me. I don't say new, but, um, I I will say this for this particular year, if they end up in Nashville, as opposed to one of the two Florida games, I will be very grumpy and not, that's not just because it's Nashville. Um, (laughs) I would be grumpy, uh, in any case. Um, but when you have a chance to go to the beach or to Nashville, obviously, I will choose the beach every time. So, um, yeah, it, it, I, I, I don't know. My experience is a little bit different from Wes's. I haven't felt the work all the time need on, on my previous trips, but, uh, or covering previous bowl games. But, um, uh, you know, if, if you're going to go somewhere, uh, for a work trip after, or sort of between Christmas and new year's, uh, the more exotic or fun, the location, I would say probably the better. Yeah. Yeah, uh, I've only covered a few bowl games myself, and with Tennessee, really the only one has been uh, the Outback Bowl because the year they went to the Gator Bowl, I was at, at the uh, at the time the Army All American Bowl in San Antonio. So, uh, but I, I'll say this: I, like Patrick, I had a little more downtime in in Tampa and, and got to enjoy that with my wife. So, uh, I, I think just don't work as hard as Wes does. Yeah, I guess, it's I guess not that; it's that it takes me longer to do things now because my brain sucks. That's the honest answer. It does suck. It does. It really does suck. I can do the same things. They just take longer. So that's. But I, say, I, I, I love Tampa though. So that, and that was a fun experience. So I, I, I would be all for another trip to Tampa and, and Jacksonville's not, you know, it's not the best city in Florida, but it's still in Florida. So uh, it, it'd be a, it'd be a good trip there too. So I, I think and thankfully they've closed the landing. Of- thankfully they've closed the landing. So people don't have to get like mugged and shot there anymore. Yeah. So yeah, that's, you know, Hey, it's, but, in, but it's yeah, interesting. Bo- you don't have as much downtime as you'd like probably with a bowl a bowl game. But, you know, if you're down there for practices in the whole week, it is there, there is enough time to go out and kind of enjoy yourself a little bit more than just, you know, going to like for one you're in you're in Missouri for one night. When you go to Missouri, you know, you're in Gainesville for one night at most when you go to Florida. So you get time to enjoy the place a little bit more than on most trips. Uh, next question. Let's see here from Duckval ATL 03. Which position group will benefit the most from the 
15 extra bowl practices uh, in regards to the 2020 season. What he said, is it receivers, outside linebackers, none of the above? What's your thoughts? And we got to start going rapid fire because we got to get through these, but but that's a good question. Oh, man. I think, honestly, uh, it, it might be tight end to me because they've got to start getting ready for life without Dominic Wood Don't Anderson. take my and, answers, Ryan. You. Ugh. Well, and, and those those are two guys among the freshmen who really didn't play. You know, Sean Brown appeared in one game this year. Jackson Lowe was the one freshman who didn't play at all. I think you got to start getting those guys ready in some form or fashion. So maybe that position, you've had those guys working with the scout team a lot this year. I think you maybe start working them in a little bit more uh maybe in bowl practice and seeing what they can do to, to get ready for next year um i i would generally say wide receiver uh, because obviously they have so much more to replace there but um to me that's a position that you, you either kind of can show up in, in in the big time moment or you can't so i don't i don't know how much you're going to benefit from just getting extra practice i think uh for for mel keaton and uh, tillman and some of those guys d'angelo gibbs has had a pretty uh, pretty good year on the scout team from what I've been told. So and there's reason to be excited about him. But uh, until some of these guys go out and make some big catches on third down over the middle in some games, uh, I'm not sure how much some extra practice time will do it. Therefore, I will say it is the outside linebackers because you got sort of a young, inexperienced group there uh, with some upside, I think. Uh, when you look at guys like Kevon Bennett, DeAndre Johnson, Kavars Crouch, you know, what are they doing with him? Um, and also uh, Roman Harrison, too, just got his first sack against Vanderbilt. So uh, I'll say them because uh, sort of like you mentioned, Ryan, and, and you were going to say, Wes, they're losing Dominic Wood Anderson at tight end. They're also losing Daryl Taylor, who's their best pass rusher. So they're going to yep. need some of these guys to uh, develop into more consistent pass rushers and, and sort of every down players for this defense. Yeah, those would have been my two answers. So now I'm kind of confused because I don't want to agree with either so one next of you. Question. So, but those are, my, those are my two answers, one tight end and two outside linebackers. Uh, next question from CPA Vol, bold prediction time. Where does Tennessee go bowling? Where does Lane Kiffin end up? Where does Luke Fickle end up? Uh, it sounds like uh, I, I'm going to say Gator Bowl on the bold prediction. I'm going to say that Kiffin will go to Arkansas because Tennessee plays at Arkansas, and that's just how things work for Tennessee. Uh, so they'll get to play Kiffin next season. Um, and I'm not sure if Fickle, I, haven't, I don't know if he's getting mentioned too much. Uh, Missouri might be a good uh, – uh, if I'm Missouri, I might try to, to get him on board, but – he might end up staying at Cincinnati. I don't know. We'll see. He, it seems like he could be a little bit more selective this cycle than, than maybe some other guys. I agree with all those, actually. I think, yeah, I think Gator Bowl is the most likely. I think Kiffin most likely to Arkansas. And I I think Missouri will call Fickle, but I don't think he would necessarily want that job right now. And I think Fickle could wait another year and then see if a bigger job became available. So I think that would be that would be where I stand on all three of those as well. Next question, 98 now, from a likability standpoint, is there a senior senior class you've enjoyed more than this one? Maybe 2016? That's his question. Uh, uh, go ahead, Ryan. I was gonna say that's that's probably the last one that was that was comparable because yeah, that one you had uh, well, I, I guess even some of the best players on that team, though, were juniors who left early for the draft and, and Alvin Kamara and Derek Barnett. So, um, you know, even even that group, not necessarily the same because the, they weren't all seniors. But, uh, yeah, I, I think that's uh, that's that's maybe the last time you had a group that was that was in this ballpark. Uh, it, it's probably, you know, you might have to go back several years. It might be back around. Uh, I'd have to go back and look at all of them, but, I, I, you know, maybe around. 20 2012 2013 somewhere in that range you had a similar group um 
I don't know. It's it's been a while though. I think this is a good group, and and uh, especially Jawan Jennings, but at least a few guys in this class people will will definitely miss. Yeah, I think there were. Think, or go ahead, go ahead, Pat. Yeah, I think they're they're comparable situations in terms of likability for different reasons, and and like you mentioned, Ryan, there's some juniors in that group that'll that should be sort of lumped in there with with Cam Sutton and Dobbs and uh, Jalen Reese maybe. And those guys were uh, really likable because they were fun to watch. They were really good players. I mean, Derek Barnett is probably the best player I've ever covered. Um, uh, you know, it's a shame we didn't get to see more of Alvin Kamara in college, but uh, that's a whole other podcast. But uh, with this group, I, I think you, uh, there's something to be said in terms of respecting guys who sort of stick it out when a bunch of crap happens to them and a bunch of crap happened to these guys and they sort of have uh, stayed the course and, and uh, are going to leave Tennessee better than, not necessarily when they found it, but where it was at some point in their careers and they have a lot to do with it. So, uh, and you've got some great stories. Jennings is a great story. Daniel Batuli is a great story. Uh, some of these guys are, are really good stories and 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 like a that have likable personalities anyway. So I think they're comparable situations. Go ahead. It's probably one of my top three. I don't know if I can separate them, but the, my my the one underrated class that I really really enjoyed a lot was the 2010 senior class. That that class had Nick Revez in it. That class had Ben Martin in it. It had Gerald Jones. That's a good choice. Uh, you know, that, that class had, I'm trying to look down the list of some other guys. Daniel Lincoln was a good interview was in that class. Uh, the, the, you know, uh, Gerald Williams, uh, uh, Gerard Shaw, a lot, there were a lot of really just good dudes in that class. LaMarcus Thompson was another one. Uh, you know, you had Savion Frazier in that one. There were some guys on that team. That team wasn't great, obviously, but that team was, was pretty, pretty darn fun to deal with. Luke Stalker, who I thoroughly enjoyed interviewing for years. Uh, he was always a good dude. Uh, he was a senior in that class. I think the 2010 class, it had, um, it had Denarius Moore, who ended up being a pretty good interview later in his career, even though it took him forever to start talking. Uh, and then uh, Chris Walker, obviously, was also a senior in that class. And Chris Walker, as everyone knows, he's still at Tennessee. He now uh, works mostly with the basketball program, but he does a lot of the FCA stuff. And he, uh, he he's, he's a, a really, really good human being. There were a bunch of good dudes in that senior class in 2010 that I enjoyed covering. Uh, so I would put this class up there with that one in terms of, and, and there's probably two or three more that I'm missing, but uh, th- this class in particular has been a really enjoyable one to cover because of kind of the redemption story and, and how many those guys have played better uh, throughout their careers. There, there's a bunch of really good kind of tough, tough dudes in this class, um, but I would put this class up there with 2010. Yeah. Those are both yeah, classes was- I enjoyed. The one that I was thinking about from a few years ago was 2013. Uh, it maybe wasn't as beloved by fans, but had a lot of good players or a lot of solid players on it that were just good guys that you enjoyed covering, like Jawan James, Daniel Hood, yeah, uh, James Stone, James Stone, Zach Fulton, mm-hmm. yeah. That 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 would be a top that would be a top five class for me too. Yeah, Corey Miller was in that senior class as well. It wasn't a big senior class. Marlon Walls, he was a guy who always came yeah. out and talked to media a lot. Michael uh, Clark Duncan. Yeah. Uh, Jack West Smith. So there, there were some, there were a lot of guys in that class that we talked to for a long time, and that again dealt with a lot of, a lot of stuff in their careers, but were, uh, were enjoyable to cover. Yeah, and I really still enjoy speaking with Jawan James and Zach Fulton when I catch up with those guys. So that, that, that was an enjoyable group of guys to be around too. I, I would put this group right now uh, in a class with those two. Those were some, some pretty good ones. Uh, next question. Let's see here. Uh, good one from ninety eight. Now, uh, what is Patrick Brown's address and telephone number? <laughs> I like that this is becoming a thing. Erase all pictures of Braun. I uh, ask. Here, here, I'm I'll, all that. Come on, man. I'll give you the answer. It's that's the answer right there. I'll give you his zip code, Tennessee. There you go. 
He, he, his zip code is 37 Tennessee. So uh, next question from Marietta Vall. 13 Marietta Vall, I should say. How in 2019 does a Thanksgiving basketball tournament hosting four established programs for a grand total of four games not have at least a couple of local high school guys to call the streamed consolation game? That's a good question. Uh, that was an interesting is way to watch the game. Tennessee VCU. Yeah. Is this a Tennessee VCU question? Yeah, from the Emerald Coast Classic, why they didn't have someone uh, calling that game. Of course, I think having no one call it might be better than high school guys calling it. Uh, everybody in Destin's at the beach. Ain't, about, ain't nobody got time to call basketball games. <laughs> Good question. Uh, next question from uh, Vols and Bama. Who is the biggest flip candidate, Ryan? Um, the two biggest ones might have been guys who have already decommitted this week. Uh, Jabari Small, the former Ole Miss commitment from Briarcrest Christian School over in the Memphis area. He, he's a close friend and teammate of Amari Thomas. Uh, I think Tennessee's in good shape with him. Vi Cajo mentioned him earlier, linebacker target from out of Nevada, uh, decommitted from Nevada, the hometown school. Uh, that was maybe a little bit of a surprise that it happened that soon, but Tennessee in good shape with him too. And if you're looking for someone who's still committed to another school, maybe one of the edge rushers they're going after, uh, uh, Kyrie uh, Coleman from over uh, down New Orleans, uh, and then Morvin Joseph, the uh, the edge rusher who's committed to Florida State right now. Uh, Coleman is a is a Kansas commitment, so I could see either of those guys being a, a, a legitimate flip possibility for Tennessee too. Next question, 13 Marietta Vall. Again, what's worse, sitting in the cold at a game or sitting in the rain? Normally we're in the press box, so it doesn't matter, but I would pick rain over cold any day. You would rather pick over cold? I hate cold. I can't do cold. Can't do cold. I think uh, I'd, worse. Uh, I'd rather sit in the rain than the cold, but the worst is obviously cold, cold and rain. Yes. Yeah, that's that's pretty gross. Next question, uh, Ray's Vol 69. Uh, from the commitments Tennessee currently has, can you guess if there are a couple who might go from four-star to five-star or three-star to four-star? Harrison Bailey's going to be a six-star. Just yeah. kidding. <laughs> he, he, might, he might be the first seven-star in history. Uh, you know, I don't know that anyone's going to add an extra star. I mean, you never know for sure on things like that. The all-star games and senior film all play a role in that. I think we've already, remember, we've already seen two Tennessee commitments move up to four stars this season. Jimmy Calloway and Mordecai McDaniel both were three stars when they committed and now are four stars. So not sure Tennessee's got any great candidates for that left, but, um, Maybe a dark horse, Jalen Hyatt, just because we've already got him as a four-star on 24-7 sports. You know, if others in the industry see his senior film and kind of think the way we do of him, I could maybe see him having a chance to become a composite four-star. But otherwise, uh, I wouldn't really have a great guess on that right now. They've got some candidates who could move up, but maybe not, you know, gain an extra star. Next question, Vols fan 1104. If Tennessee plays a Michigan or Penn State or even a Minnesota in a bowl game down in Florida and does win, is there any chance Tennessee lands in the top 25 in the final season poll? Yeah, if they beat Michigan by like three touchdowns, yeah, potentially. Maybe they beat Minnesota by three touchdowns, possibly. Yeah. I think it would take something like that. Uh, I think if they did that, they would get some points, but not be in the poll proper. That would be my guess. I, would, I, I could see them being like just outside receiving votes, something like that. Yeah. So we'll in see. all likelihood, unranked. But yeah, if they were to blow out somebody impressively, I could see them getting some consideration. Uh, next question, Gaffney VFL 89, what's y'all's favorite Christmas movies? I'll give you two, uh, Christmas Vacation 1, Die Hard 2, and Die Hard is a Christmas movie, and if you say Die Hard's not a Christmas movie, you can go sit and twist. It is a Christmas movie. Uh, my two are uh, The Grinch, the one with Jim Carrey. My wife is a big fan of that, mm-hmm. um, and it's actually low-key pretty funny. Uh, and then Christmas Vacation, which is just a classic. My third one would probably be Elf. Elf would be in the top three for me. Elf, Elf, Elf would be my three. 
For sure. Uh, for for me, it's two. I, I couldn't pick. I'd, I'd say Elf. And for me, uh, I'd be torn on which one, but I'd, I'd go with I guess the original Home Alone, just because it it was kind of like yeah, that was like ch- that was like childhood for me. Like that came out at the perfect time for me growing up. So I, I would go with that one. And my least favorite is uh, which we have to watch every single Christmas because even though I love my wife, I don't love this movie, even though it's her favorite. So we always watch it. White Christmas. Every year we watch White Christmas. It's not. I mean. Hey, hey. I love some old movies. Don't get me wrong. Some of my favorite movies are old movies, but White Christmas just doesn't do it for me. Favorite uh, sort of not family-appropriate Christmas movie? Still definitely Bad Santa. Bad Santa's very underrated. It's a very underrated movie. Do you want to eat some sandwiches? No, I don't want any of your bleeping sandwiches. Uh, Next question, jhig0531. I'll answer half of this. Who's the most important assistant coach on Tennessee staff and who's the most expendable? I couldn't tell you who the most expendable was because I'm not Jeremy Pruitt, but I could tell you probably who would be the two that I would consider the most important. I'm going to say one is going to be Brian Niedermeyer because he does He's in on all, seems like all of their big recruit, recruiting targets. I think he's a guy who uh, loves recruiting and recruits love him. So I'll go him. And the number two, I will go Jim Chaney because as much as I love Derek Ansley as a coach, and I do, I think he'll be a great head coach one day. I, I think Pruitt can, you know, do a lot of the same stuff that Ansley does because they, they share a brain, basically. They, they're always on the same page. So I would say Niedermeyer and Chaney. Those those would be my two answers as well. If if Ansley's skill set um, and and what he does didn't cross over with Jeremy Pruitt's, I would I would go with him too because I think he's very good. But I think the reality is Jeremy Pruitt's a DB's guy and a defensive coordinator by trade too. So I think you could just because of that you could, you know, if he left, it wouldn't be maybe as devastating of a blow. But Cheney I think has definitely helped Tennessee in a lot of ways and it would be a big loss if if Tennessee loses him anytime soon. Uh, I'll probably stick with that too. I'll, although I will say, no, you know, I'll, I'll be different just to be different. Uh, I'll say Niedermeyer and Ansley uh, in the same way that Chaney lets Pruitt sort of not worry about the offense. Uh, Ansley lets Pruitt be a little bit more of the sort of CEO coach. Cause he, yeah. he, he, like you said, Wes, he's the extension of, of Pruitt's brain and, and knows his defense in and out. And I think, I think Ansley's done a nice job this season. So I'll, I'll, I'll say him and Niedermeyer just for the sake of being different. Vol4Life94 said, I'm going to follow up to jhig0531's question. Who's the most important rider on the 24-7 staff, and who is the most expendable rider on the 24-7 staff? <laughs> uh, you might get four different answers from the four of us, right? Maybe. Y'all, y'all want to take a stab at it? Go ahead. Well, I'm obviously the most important one, so. Clearly. Uh, I'm not going to answer who's the most expendable because that's not very nice. Let's no. see here. I'm going to say most important. You know what? I'm actually going to not say myself. I might say Ramey on this because he does a little bit of everything. He runs our Facebook page. Yeah, he does, but he does, he does it not very well, though. No, but he does all of it. He doesn't do any of it really well, but he does a lot of stuff. He uh, he, he he handles, he, he's the main basketball guy. He does basketball recruiting. He helps with football team coverage. He helps with football recruiting a lot. Uh, he, he does our Facebook page. I, I'm going to go, um, he does a lot of stuff on our Twitter page too. I'm going to go, I'm going to go Ramey on that one probably. So that, that's, Grant, that's the ni- only nice thing I'll ever say about you your entire life. But uh, I might, I might say that. And uh, most expendable, I'll go ahead and fall on the sword. Probably me. Let's be honest. So that, those are my <laughs> answers. Ryan, your turn. You're so, uh, you're um, so humble. I'm I, so, I so can't humble answer. This is like, a parent picking a favorite child. I, I, I can't pick one. 
I'm yeah. If, if you're trying to say that you run this place, then you just became the most expendable in my mind. I'm not saying that I'm the parent. I'm just saying I couldn't pick between you guys. Um, no, I, I, the reality is, I, I, in all seriousness, I think we have a good staff here that uh, complements each other very well. And uh, and I don't. I, I think if you took away one of us, we would be a less complete version of, of what we are now. So I, I don't think there's anyone really expendable. And I think we all fill a valuable role for, for the staff. We do have exactly the staff I would want us to have. Uh, when I look at the, the guys who are in this market and the strengths and weaknesses, uh, I, I would, I would, this is the team I would want because between the four of us, you know, there's, there's nothing really that goes unanswered. There's, there's nothing you could want that at least one guy on our staff doesn't bring to the table. So I would, mm-hmm. I, I would say that. That's exactly and, and to clear up my answer, I said I'm the most important cause I'm awesome. And I think of myself as being awesome, but we are, you said what you said we all bring something good to the table i would say we are like a table whereas if you took one of our four legs away we we would be wobbly that's true i mean we could still walk we wouldn't work good well it's like a three-legged dog or a three-legged cat they can still get around on three legs it's not quite the same thing though and if it's a front leg and they want to dig they're in trouble we are a table the go balls 24 7 round table if you will there you go but uh, a round table could really have three legs, but that's well, that's neither here nor there. But that, that's a good question. Last one from Lifetime Bama Hater says: In this new age of transfers, might we see programs granted some allowances to sign more than the allotted twenty-five? For example, let's say a team has seven, ten players transfer, maybe they get to sign five more than usual. We answered that a little bit earlier. I think I'd be fine with a two for one for every two players who transfer. You can sign an extra one. I don't think a straight one for one works though, because I think that would make coaches kind of. Uh, you know, I think that would make coaches push kids out. I, I think it would be interesting and something to study, but I think there probably needs to be a little bit more, um, a few more years of the portal to have a little bit more data to know what the best way to go about it is. Yeah. I know that's not really an answer, but I think that's probably the most. I think I can live with that. I think you need more data on, on the transfer portal. It's still such a new thing. I, I think you've got to wait a couple more years and see how it's going to shake out. Because, I mean, like even the early signing period came around around the same time, and last year the percentage of kids who signed in December went up. So you've got to wait and sort of see how these things evolve over time before you really overreact and address a problem that maybe doesn't have to be addressed that severely. You, you can cause more problems by reacting too quickly to something like that. So right now I don't – I don't know. I think they would be hesitant to do something uh, right away, but it, it's something they might have to at least consider down the road. I think that's a good place to leave it, guys. I think that's a good place to leave it. Guys, thanks for tuning in this week. As always, we really, really, really do appreciate it. You can find all of us on social media. I am Wes Rucker 24-7 on Twitter. Patrick Brown's P. Brown 24-7 on Twitter. Grant Ramey is Grant Ramey on Twitter. Ryan Callahan is Ryan Callahan 24-7 on Twitter. You can also find all of us on Twitter without any of our personal stuff. You can go to twitter.com slash goballs247 or facebook.com slash goballs247 or you can go get your water directly from the hose. Delicious East Tennessee Mountain Spring water you can get at GoVols247.com. 50% off an annual subscription right now, guys. Still a great deal. A great, great deal. Get to that while you can because we don't know how long this deal will last, and it's a really good one. So make sure that you go in there and do that. And as always, you get if you pay for us, if you pay for our website, you pay for 24-7 sports, GoVols247, you get free access 
in perpetuity for life, no charge to CBS All Access. And you get the Rolls Royce package there with no commercials or anything. You can get everything in the CBS catalog, including live sports, uh, live NFL, SEC Game of the Week, all kinds of good stuff. So go do that. And uh, if nothing else, if there's no crazy, crazy, crazy news, you will hear from us probably before Monday because you're going to hear a basketball podcast as well. Uh, But there will not be uh, another football podcast unless something crazy happens until Monday morning. Thanks, guys.